It's Sunday, April 25th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, the Oakland A's are hot. So are pitchers Corbin Burns and Jacob deGrom. The Dunedin Blue Jays are 9-11. and are, the, are they baseball's next great team? The Dodgers and the Padres show just how interesting the NL West can be. A Nationals fan gets a shot at redemption, and we look back on a big day in the Tatis family. We'll break down an eventful week in Chicago baseball, and in popcorn, Tom and I will tell you who will win and who we want to win the Oscars this evening. How are you doing, Tom? Why do you ask? Are you a doctor? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not a medical professional. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Now, you got the J&J vax, though. And, yeah, I... you know, there are issues with it. Are you concerned? No, not at all. Okay, go. No, I'm not at all. I, I, um, they've had millions and millions, and like three, three or four people have. I mean, I think it's to be honest with you, it's a ridiculous uh, yeah. story that there's side. There's going to be side effects. It could kill some people. That's that's part of the. That's by the way, that goes yeah. back to Jonas Salk. I mean, this is hardly, you know, news, but it's just in the media world that we live in. It's just. Uh, you know, it's par for the course. Um, speaking of which, uh, there was a pretty sad story for us Chicagoans oh, that kind of came out this week about that. I don't think anybody except for maybe his close family members really knew. And that we're talking about Steve McMichael, who defensive lineman for the Chicago Bears in the '85 uh, Super Bowl team, and, and yeah. quite the colorful, colorful character as well. Yeah. I mean, he's been yeah. on radio, and he's he's uh, he's Texas almost guy, you know. he's, he's almost something out of like a William Faulkner novel. His, he really uh, is. His, his characters and and so he the thing that's interesting to me because um you know my grandfather had multiple sclerosis and i saw over time what it did to him but he has a pretty virulent um uh, case of, of als because literally three three months ago he was fe feeling the very first um tinges of, of this happening and now the article that i read and i saw a little video he's already basically needs you know 20 not 24 hour care but someone to his wife is really i feel bad for her she's got to do unbelievable amount of work to kind of to, to handle him from day to day it's only going to get worse hands. he can't but, use his hands at all right you know and 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 it's funny i mean like him or hate him i mean mcgregor's yes. been around this town for a long time and He's been on the radio and he's always just doing crazy things. And he was a crazy guy on that 85 Bears team. Yeah, yeah. But, but there is one kind of interesting baseball connection associated with Steve McMichael in that he's the only guy I ever saw get thrown out of a baseball game during the seventh inning stretch. He led, <laughs> he led the crowd in, in take me out to the ball game. And right before that, there was a play at the plate where Ron Coomer had been thrown out and Angel Hernandez called him out. Of yeah. course. Called him out. He was safe. And uh, he throws McMichael out when McMichael at the end of it said something about, I'm going to take care of that guy. And <laughs> and ejects him. That's you a know? first. That is a first. Ron Coomer told that story on the air. He told that story on the air during uh, the Cubs broadcast. I was listening while I was driving around uh, yesterday. And Hernandez threw out Ron Coomer then? <laughs> no, no, he didn't throw out Ron Coomer. <laughs> but Coomer said that that was a great moment. Um, another one, another person is also in the news that is very important to me. And this is uh, the pool player, Jeanette Lee, otherwise known as the Black Widow. If you know 
anything about pool, you know who Jeanette Lee is. And she's just- So, so before you do that, yeah. tell our listeners just why she's so great. Why is, well, why is she one of the, some people think she's the greatest player ever. Well, I don't know if she's the greatest player ever, but she's as good as anybody who's ever played male or female. She is a great player. She's in the conversation as the best women's player of all time. The problem with her in saying that is that Jeanette's time at the top is a brief one, but she's just one of the highest caliber individuals. And she still did exhibitions and she's a great, great player any day of the week, even if she's not among the best, you know, 10 in the country at, at that moment. But, but, but she's been diagnosed with um, uh, stage four ovarian uh, cancer. Thanks. And uh, she's, you know, her hair was a big part of her identity. She had right, black right. hair down. Well, she was kind face. of a fetching, she was a oh, pretty she, attractive woman. She was a, she's a beautiful woman. She's a yeah. very beautiful woman. And, you know, she, she's lost her hair to the chemotherapy and she is, you know, she's divorced. She has two daughters, two or three daughters. I mean, this, this is, this is a hard time yeah, for the right, right, family. Right. And, uh, but this is somebody who I admire a great deal. And for all of you out there who may have an interest in this, if you go to YouTube uh, and just put in Jeanette Lee, American Hustle. And what happened was uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan is a snooker player from England, right. who's the greatest snooker player of all time. And You've talked did, about him before. He did a, a, a documentary series for the History Channel UK called American Hustle. And he comes to Chicago and he plays straight pool at the Chicago Billiard Cafe on Irving Park Road with Jeanette Lee. And she is looking fantastic. And it is just so great to watch. And mm -hmm. Jeanette Lee uh, is in my thoughts and prayer, uh, prayers. Yeah. I, I, we cannot lose this wonderful, wonderful person who's well, done well, so much for the game of pool. Stage four um, ovarian, it's, you, she's not going to get out of that. It's just a question of what, how much quality time she has left. So, you know, our, like you said, our thoughts are with her. And it's, it's, always, it's always difficult to see, like in the case of McMichael, even though McMichael is, is 63 years old, she's not 63. No, she's, um, not, she's younger than me. Yeah, and, and kind of, like, like you said, her time was brief on the top. So I'm guessing she hasn't been you know, as competitive over the last 10 years as she was in the first 10 years of the century. But uh, it's really, that, that's tough news. Um, there, there was some, I don't want to say that this is tough or good news, but uh, this week they wrapped up the uh, Derek Chauvin uh, case, or I should say the George Floyd case, actually. Uh, and he was found pretty much guilty of all charges as as we anticipated that he, he, he would be. However, um, history is chock full of uh, non not guilty votes when it comes to police officers. In fact, this is actually unusual that yeah. this one was actually found guilty. How did you feel when you uh, heard the news? Well, you know, it, I mean, uh, I wrote on Facebook, I remember that, um, you know, I, I, I thought the verdict was right and just, but I wasn't going to cheer about it. I'm not going to yeah. take a victory lap. It's not, number one, it's not my place to do it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, and, and, and also just because the reality is, is so difficult to contemplate still, you know, I mean, the, and, and, and it's just, it's hard to know that these things go on in this country. And, and, and we have to, you know, there's been some recent shootings involving police here in Chicago recently. And we, we have to be aware that anytime this happens, we have to look at the facts for that individual instance. That's um, right. You know, but in this case, police officers that I knew were like, that guy needs to go to jail. That guy killed, you know, and, and, and 
at least justice was done. It's a bitter, it is a bitter sort of solace, but what else can we do? I mean, I would rather have George Floyd in this world, you know, but. You know, the, the, the other thing to note is, is that in the world that we live in today, I've said this for a long time, because I'm a big fan of uh, true life crime and forensic files. It's almost impossible to kill somebody today for a variety of reasons, from an evidentiary standpoint. But in this particular case, this murder, and it was murder, <clears throat> was filmed, not just by one person, but there was one young gal who kind of drove the video. But it turns out after the fact, there was all these other uh, videos that actually put the whole thing into complete perspective, which is this guy, for whatever reason, he popped a rivet and, and kept his knee on this guy. First of all, he shouldn't have had his knee on his neck, period. That, I don't understand why that's a policing tool. Yet, however, I will tell you, generally speaking, I support the police officers. They have a tough job to do. It's not easy. But you can't kill black kids and black men for broken taillights. I've been saying that for 25 years now. And yeah. so, um, of course, he was guilty because it was filmed. The, whole, the only thing that would defy it would be some technicality or some goofball juror that was like paid off a la, you know, on the waterfront. Or, something or, out of a, a crime novel. Exactly. Uh, otherwise, every sensible person. And like you said, there's been a couple of cases this week that one in Ohio was like, hey, that girl was going to stab that other girl. I don't know what that cop was supposed to do. And you're right. And every case has has to be taken on its own and its own merit. But this is one that um, I don't for some reason, I just don't think we've heard the last of it. And the reason well, is, is yeah. because. He might be going to pound me in the ass prison. And uh, if that's the case, he's going to have a tough, albeit brief, tenure in prison. That's what I think. He'll be protected by the white supremacists that are that, all. It, it could be, but that's what Jeffrey Dahmer said. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeffrey Dahmer's a little different. Yeah, but, but Je Jeffrey Dahmer killed an African American. And what I'm saying is the prisons are made up basically of people of color. Yeah, the white supremacists are big, but they're not nearly as big as the Hispanics and the blacks. That's and the reason is there's more of them in prison. So all I'm saying is, for some reason, Chauvin right now is in that Papillon 23-hour-a-day lockdown. I mean, I mean, it's not like it's it's a, a dark room with one little slit where they put your food in that when it comes slides in, all the food falls all over the, the freaking floor. He he thinks it's bad now. He has no idea. That's what I'm trying to see, say. He may that. yet get out on, on an appeal, but I... I doubt it. I, I think that if, if he does survive, he should be still relatively young when he gets out of prison because he will get out of prison if he survives. That's my point. And another thing, Tom, is as practicing Catholics, you and I, you know, and again, when I say practicing, it's because we're not very good at it. But I know uh, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> okay. okay. But, big uh, difference. Now, oh, kind of a debt. We, we now have to we have to minister to him. We have to feel sorry for him because yeah. he is the prisoner. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it, it, I, I'll be completely honest. What he did was murder, and I told I, I to drum up sympathy for the guy, in all honesty. All right, so let's open the bag of peanuts and uh, get they're nice and hot and salty, and, and we'll begin. So are the peanuts. Yeah, so, so are the peanuts. <laughs> and uh, we'll begin with the Oakland A's, who've, who've won 13 straight as right. of today. Right. And uh, did you see how they won their 11th? Was watching at the time. I have Matt Olson on my. I was watching it live at the time. I swear to God, oh, it was. It's gonna. That's gonna be a running theme when you start talking about these stories. I've seen almost every single one of them. Not all of them live. This one was live because because I I was just fascinated with what was going on, and it was a unusual a walk off throwing error by the third yeah. baseman. 
Yeah, it wasn't yeah. even close. I mean, he, this like he obviously got overly excited. I I, I forgot who the the guy was, but uh, yeah, incredible uh, incredible run by the A's because they didn't start so well. No, and and, and and they're still not. When I look at their things, as I do before this show every week, I look at all the teams that's hitting from a pitching standpoint. They're still not setting the world on fire. Um, no, they're not. They're 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 getting lucky. They're yeah, really lucky. That's right. That's right. And, and Alex Coffey from uh, the Athletic, who you know is, he said that they have a chance maybe to go to break the 21 game winning streak that had been set set by their predecessors. But I'm like, no, 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 no. They'll lose before 21. So they're 14 and seven this morning, and their yeah. run differential is only five runs. So that's one of the that's in fact that's the worst of all the best teams. So what yeah. I would say is the A's will come back to earth. That, that yeah. statistically they're, they're going to have to, but it's been kind of interesting. I, I root for things like that in baseball. I do believe it's an aberration though. But, but that 11th game was hysterical because it was, what, what was it? It was, uh, it was two errors and how many walks, three walks. And they were, they scored three runs to come back and win. And that was crazy. You're, you're going to see that with the man on second and extra innings though. I noticed that watching a bunch of extra inning games. I'm like, okay, so th- they basically yeah. want these games a over with and B maybe they're going to score a lot of runs because if a team's already was going to hit well in that inning and you've already been basically gifted a run because that base hit scores that runner at second. I just think you're going to see maybe some exciting finishes in baseball where, yeah. where I, I, I'm stuck as much as I first dislike the man at second i'm starting to think that you know there might be a value to um drumming up more offense with it two things i also want to mention about the a's is that uh that number one it was about the a series that was a terrible loss for the twins absolutely terrible a twin a twins team that was expected to win <laughs> yes was devastated and also i really want ramon loriano on the cubs yeah. Well, in that game, because I saw most of it, the Twins, I believe, had as much as a three or maybe a four-run lead yeah. at different points in that game. That's why it that was – they had blown. Yeah. Hit mine, yeah. What was it, uh, 10 to 8 or something? Or Anyway. or a tru- tru- to Truth to be told about the game, it was pretty sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but still, I mean, it's fun to watch. I hope they I hope they do break the record. But I yeah. think it's nuts to think that they will, though. Okay, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So now let's talk about two pitchers who are also very hot, and and we'll mention Corbin Burns from the Brewers, who I think in his uh, he struck out forty and hasn't walked a single hitter, which is unbelievable. A hundred percent strikeout rate. What do they call that? Strikeout to walk ratio? Yeah. Yeah. Which is more, I mean, he's been incredible since he's left uh, LA law. I mean, yeah. I, I'm very, imp- I'm very impressed of he's had two careers. Yeah. Corbin Burns. And, um, you know, sorry, Corbin Burns. Yeah. Corbin Burns. Not the same guy, but, uh, but yeah, he's been really good. And, and what's interesting about it is that it's never been done. You know, yeah. 40, 40 strikeouts, no walks to start a season has never been done by a starting pitcher ever, which is very interesting as well. I love it when things like this kind of happen. You know, the, the other thing to note is that he was a very average pitcher as of two years ago, and yeah. he completely changed 
everything and got a like a, a pitching philosophy coach. Uh, yeah. He's got, you know, and, and, and it's basically turned him around. He turned his, his average fastball kind of into a cutter. And uh, at this point, he's basically unhittable. My brother was singing his <laughs> praises like two months ago, was saying, hey, watch out for this guy in Milwaukee. And because I have a Milwaukee bias, I was like, I refuse to, yeah. to even entertain it. It's the same thing with the Cardinals. If some, something's great on the Cardinals, I'm like, yeah, exactly. I can't have it. So um, unbelievable. But I think he's actually been de- eclipsed by by Jacob deGrom on the Mets. And, and remember, I told you two weeks ago, Bieber had the best pitching performance I've seen this year against the White Sox. That was right before Rodon threw the no hitter. Yeah, I thought that that uh, Justin Bieber, whatever his name is on the on the in- Indians team or the the Cleveland team um, had the best pitching performance. Well, Jacob deGrom did something basically that I don't know has been done. It's been done, but it's been a long. So for example, the last 20 game hitter to bat 300 in the major leagues was Bob Gibson. It's an extremely unusual thing where you have a guy that is as gifted as deGrom is as a pitcher. And he's a pretty, he batted eighth in that particular game that he struck out 15. He, wow. that, which has wow. not happened like in 30 years on the Mets. So you're, this is a special guy. And he, apparently he knew in warmup that, that his, uh, his stuff was going to be electrifying. He goes, I, that's happened to me before. And I've gone out and given up four runs right off the bat. Cause I think I have, he goes, yeah. so I, I, he said, he walked the course of the field a couple of times. People were like, what are you doing? And he goes, it was just to settle me down. And then moments later, 101 mile an hour pitch struck out the first hitter. You are seeing something, right? I mean, baseball right now has an as a slight imbalance um, uh, fr- from hitting to pitching. And right yeah. now, right now, the the hitters collectively in the major leagues are four points under what they were in 1968, the year the year of the pitcher. So no, that'll that number I think will change. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's change, it, but. But that is uh, shocking. That's yes, a shocking revelation. It, it is. It, it is. And um, and so <clears throat> keep your eye on Degrom, but keep your eye on Bauer. Keep your eye on you, Darvish, who pitched a, an unbelievable game a couple nights ago. Um, and, and and Kershaw is, is still no slouch. I mean, I think you have some really uh, and Max Scherzer also has pitched well this year. But uh, but no one has been better than Degrom. No one. No one is. Yeah. No, that's true. And and this is an era, you know, for great pitching. I mean, when when the when you think about the best pitchers, they're dominating in a fashion that's uh, unlike any other. Well, we haven't seen it in a while. That's for sure. Now, now there was a piece in Deadspin um, yeah. about this, and 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 they asked the question: Can anybody in this league hit? Right. And and I think that uh, unfortunately they use about... Rizzo as their subject. By the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They use Rizzo as the subject as to why no one right. can hit, and then right. he goes out and right. has, and he just completely explodes. Right. We'll talk so, about them in a minute, but yes. But, but 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 I do think that this article was a bit of a, a, a panic attack, you know, about how bad things were or how bad things are offensively in the majors. You know, I, I watched and listened to a lot of baseball this week, last week, all the season I have, and um, it's still really a compelling game. And, and, you know, there are things that are happening offensively that are, you know, exciting and interesting and guys are still hitting the ball hard and it's still, but it is hitting is hard. No question. And it may be harder now more than ever. But you have records being brought, being uh, smashed, burst, ruptured in three areas, home runs, um, strikeouts, 
Um, and, uh, uh, and, and no, and, and great pitching. Great. I'm sorry. I wanted to just kind of highlight those three things. The great, the great pitching strikeouts are at, a, at, a, at a re- every year has been more than the next for the last, we talked about this last year uh, and the home runs are astronomical. And so I find myself cheering for opposite field hits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm serious. Yeah. That's how weird the game is, but yet it's still compelling. The game of baseball is still compelling. And we'll talk about this in the Cubs discussion, but, but there is an intention to, to making contact and going the other way. And I see teams trying to do that. Me too. Thinking about it. They're not always successful, but, but there's an intention at work here. And there may, this imbalance, I think may recalibrate is all yeah. I'll say. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. But, uh, but, but what about the Dunedin Blue Jays? You know, <laughs> Dunedin, you're talking about Dunedin, Florida? Yeah, Dunedin, Florida, which is where the <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays are playing their home games, by the way. Yeah. Because, because Canada will not allow uh, the Blue Jays to play games at home, basically because they're not, they won't allow American baseball teams to come into Canada and play games. That's not the reason now. That was the reason last year. The reason now is they have – they're not as protected as we are. They they oh. they they have a they're having a bigger COVID issue um, in terms of getting vaccines. Yes, yes. My my father-in-law lives in Toronto with his his uh, girlfriend, and I I hear all the stories. They 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 have problems with the vaccines. They have problems with people not you know doing what they're supposed to do. So what started out as an American problem is now a Canadian problem. You know, it's interesting that America kind of has come back in this regard. America yes. was really down all last year, all through 2020. America was like in our inability to accept it and the way that it had been spreading here at such a yeah. high rate. But now with the vaccine, we're showing that American ingenuity and organization is, uh, you know, making things happen. The New York Times reported this morning that other countries are criticizing the U.S. for their vaccine uh, uh, surplus. Wow. That, that other countries need it. And so the, like, I believe president Biden is going to have to ship our, well, he should, if once we yeah, reach a yeah. certain point, give, give right. it to, give it to the poorest communities that need them. But, uh, but this, the Mark Shapiro is a pretty optimistic guy on the blue Jays. They're basically what this article talks yeah. about is that he's, he's trying to, he certainly sold uh, George Springer on the fact that, that Toronto's prolonged best days are in front of them. They are. They're, and they're about to get very, very good. Yeah. And it really, I, I, I've heard this before, just so you know, from a lot of different teams. He, I, yeah, he is very optimistic, but they do have some young, great talent. And they have young, great talent who are all children of, of really good major league players. Right. That, that's ironically true. But, but even if they weren't, they're all good players in their own right. So, yeah. um, they just need they need some more things. They need some pitching, and they that it's they're not there yet. But but they're they're going to be an interesting team to watch. And the Yankees have every reason to be looking over their other shoulder and stop staring at the Red Sox. Start looking at the Blue Jays. Start looking at the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays too. I mean, that's a big market. They they're going to try to win. They're going to spend money and they're going to try to bring guys there. I mean, you know, now Dunedin isn't Toronto, but uh, you know. If I was if I was in Toronto, I'd be pissed that I wasn't getting to see my games. It would really be bothering me. They they haven't had a home game in over a year. Yeah, no, yeah. no, you're right, and, and it's hard. It's been hard on everybody, but you know, I'm sure a trip to Florida. Well, we'll see how going to Dunedin in, in you know August is, but uh, you know, guys are going to be like dying out there in the sun, you yeah. know. But uh, hopefully, they'll, hopefully they'll be back in Toronto by then. That's what my hope is. 
Well, we'll see what happens. So um, in, in the National League, though, the Dodgers have clinched the National <laughs> League West, yeah. as all the other teams were mathematically eliminated this right. week. Right. Well, but, not, uh, not quite. Watch out for those San Francisco Giants, by the way. Uh, the Gi- no, the Giants may have something to say, although I believe the Giants will fade. Oh, there's no doubt. really interesting, though, is the, is the fight between the Padres and the, and the Dodgers. This it's, is going to be really It's the best game. stuff in baseball right now. It, it, and when they play each other, it's nightly must-watch baseball. The problem it is. is it's on at 11 o'clock at night. That's the, that's the problem. And I can't stay up that late, Tom. No, I, I just can't, can't do it. I can't so either. I'll have to suffice, you know, I'll just have to get up in the morning and look at the scores. Yeah. But there are some really fun, fun games, you know, that have been going on there. Uh, I, I I can't tell you much about them because I haven't watched them, but uh, but I, you know I, I have I've seen a lot of them. I saw the no hitter. I've 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 seen a, quite a bit of play. They've got this uh, great outfielder uh, Trent Grisham on the Padres, and the the Padres are like the Dodgers' little brother. Uh, yeah. And over time, they've been disrespected, and yeah. so I too had little brothers. And I will tell you that when a little brother wins a battle with the big brother. That's front page news. <laughs> when the big brother swats the little brother like a fly, that's on page 32. Yeah. It, it, that, what I'm saying is the Padres are the, you know, I think I can team. And I think maybe they can ultimately challenge. I still think the Dodgers win it all this year. And, and if you really want to take a close look at the Dodgers, they're they're even extraordinary right now. They'll be extraordinary in three months. The difference is, Padres, you have to keep up at that level. And and who? I just think the Dodgers just have too much. And, oh, by the way, Bellinger's on the rack. What happens when he comes back? Yeah, what happens when he comes – I mean, I know – like, when do the Padres get Tatis back? You know, that that's their one maybe – <laughs> Yeah, Tatis, Tatis had an incredible week this week. Um uh, he's been back, Leo. Uh, oh, he's been back. I, yeah. yeah, and I added a, a, an article in here to watch that he hit two home runs on the uh, two nights ago on the anniversary of Fernando hitting two grand slams in the same inning. He now this is see this is why this is why this I'm, is why you should read the show notes. This is but, why I should read the show notes. But it's funny because you know, and again, I did read the article, but um, but. But I didn't. I, I thought you were just commemorating. No, no. Tatis's, he's the, back. The older Tatis's, you know, effort from. No, today. no. But but the younger Tatis is back. Why? You know, again, he's got that supplication of the shoulder, which will happen again. It's just a right. matter of time. And so until then, he's hitting like he always does, like a beast. So, so it'll it'll be a problem eventually. Again, it may take him out, and he'll have to heal. He it. has to get surgery for that if he wants to put it so it never happens again. Right, but there's some risks involved, and these—it's basically he's going to make that decision in the off season. Well, that's but, uh, remarkable to hit two home runs on the day your father hit two correct, grand slams correct, in the beginning. Correct, that's completely. Crazy. And they spoke later on the phone, and his father couldn't believe that that uh, Junior did that. But but the point is, is that the Dodgers and the Padres will probably provide the storyline for baseball in 2021. There will be other things that will happen on the eastern side of the country, but nothing more as long as the Padres keep pace you know it's basically going to be a playoff game every time they play well they don't have to you know and it's interesting the Padres don't have to win the division they can they can get in as a wild card and they won't win the division they're not going to beat the they're not beating the Dodgers Dodgers in a playoff series yes 
you know, then that, maybe that's could, different. That's different. Then they yeah. can win the pennant. That that would be interesting, you know. Yeah. And I would watch that. That's a story I would uh, watch. There was some interesting stuff that happened this week in baseball. Yeah. It, it sent, it sent me a link again. I watched that live as it happened. But what I didn't realize when I saw it, and of course we're talking about this, the, the Waffle House hat, that, that's what I fixated on. When I saw the guy had the uh, a Waffle House mask, I should say, not hat, uh, on his face, um, this is a guy that almost caught two home runs uh, yeah. out in the stands. And of course you're talking about Ethan Peterson, who's I, a Washington I, Nationals fan. One of your Facebook friends now, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But he's sitting in the left center field bleachers at National Stadium. They're playing the Cardinals yeah. and a home run ball is hit right at him. He's got his glove and he blows it. He yeah, blows it, that's you know? right. But then a few innings later, another ball is hit right at him. And this time he catches it. Well, and, if he, it hit him right in the glove. I yeah. mean, he could, he, he, it, and his hand hurt for 20 minutes, but, but that is <laughs> the craziest thing. And I'll tell you something that never would have happened if not for COVID. Because, and yes, that's correct. That's correct. Because there would be 20 guys around him. Fighting, on correct, and trying to get the ball. There's no way he gets correct. two shots at it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I noticed that. And the fact that it's just unbelievable odds. They're playing the Cardinals who basically can't score a run. Yeah. You know, they, they've had, they're one of the lowest scoring teams, which I can't figure it out because they got two gigantic hitters on that team. But the Cardinals have been struggling, struggling offensively. Yeah, and right. that particular night, they, they opened up on Washington, who, by the way, have their own problems. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but that um, was great. That's all right. I mean, they, they, they'll, they'll figure it out. But that really was a, a, a tremendous moment of redemption and maybe the greatest moment for a fan I've ever seen. You know? Yeah. So, uh, all right. So I, I wanted to talk briefly about Brian uh, Buxton because he's always been kind of a poster child for potential. Whatever they talk about potentially, Sparky used to do this all the time. It drug yeah. me crazy. Get a young player and you just talk about, oh, this guy, when he he fully blooms as a player, he, you know, he's going to be Mickey Mantle and that. They said that about Brian Buxton when he first came up uh, five or six years. You mean Mike Trout Light? Yeah, that- Mike, yeah, exactly. Mike Trout Light. That's correct. And so he's always had this tag, but he's actually now – he was always was a great defensive player, but his hitting has been – uh, spotty and he's starting to put it together. So if we may have another trout like guy in the American league, because quite honestly, in the national league, you know, you've got Acuna jr. Who's basically hitting the cover off the ball. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. The American league, there hasn't been a, a trout or a trout light so far in the season. It's just, you know, so Buxton, what I'm saying is keep an eye on this guy. He can do it all. He's a yeah. great th- Great defensive player. He may win a gold glove, and 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 his hitting is starting to finally cut, catch up to him. Well, the Twins need to turn things around. Otherwise, there's going to be, you know, massive firings. So there's a lot of guys whose jobs are on the line there. Yeah, for sure. But uh, but but that's good. Oh, also, I, I didn't put this in the notes, but did you see the therapy bunny? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, I did. So that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So, um, will – so – Astudillo, right? How, is that how Williams you say? Astudillo. Like in my Argentine accent, Williams Astudillo. You do and you'll clean it up. <laughs> so he is our favorite player, you know, he is, right he is. now because he's positively rotund. You know, right. it's just a bowling ball was given little arms and legs. And that's <laughs> what he looks like. But he's wonderful to watch. Yeah. And he runs very fast and he hits and he doesn't strike out. And 
And now he pitches. Uh, he was actually put into a game that was out of hand, and he comes in and takes the mound, and he threw. Did you see that 47-mile-an-hour curveball? Curveball, yes, I did. Unbelievable. Yes, I did. I loved how the hitter, I forget who the hitter was, just said, oh, yeah, this isn't going over the plate. <laughs> and boom, it went from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Just yeah. a fluttered in. That was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that was wonderful. That was really cool. Again, base, baseball is kind of fun right now. There's a lot of really cool things going on. And this has been a really good start of a season. We've had other years like this, but this is one of those years. And so I look yeah, forward to Interesting things happening yeah, every for sure. single day all around. Sure. The and, and, and that also brings us to the, the Chicago baseball teams for which, yeah. for whom it's been a really exciting week. It really and, has for both teams, actually. You know, we'll begin with the Cubs who, who, couldn't score a run. They were absolutely terrible. We were talking last week about just how bleak the future looked for the Cubs. And yeah. then suddenly they explode and they win four straight. They rock it to, to 10 and nine. They're now 10 and 10 after losing yesterday to the Brewers. But it's so funny how just one week, four games can completely change your outlook about a team. Well, uh, I noticed in baseball reference, but again, I went to check the summaries before our talk. They went from the last place team of last week batting 159, I think, as a team, to now they're batting like 215. And they're like, they moved up seven slots. So two games that where they scored double digit runs propelled them out of the basement. And not just that, they're moving towards because their pitching is, you know, their strong suit. Uh, and until this past week um, to being somewhat of a competitive team. So yep. great week by the Cubs specifically. They, I, I was talking to my brother on, on zoom the other night and, and it was the night that they scored all those runs. And I'm like, they need to save some of these runs for tomorrow. And lo and behold, they needed them yesterday. They needed but them yesterday. <laughs> they should have. Yeah. It, it was tough. It was a tough loss yesterday, but you know, that's the way it goes. The winning streak ends. Baseball is uneven. But, but I will say that uh, regarding this offensive explosion where they basically took it out on the Mets. Yes, they did. They, they really did. But uh, what, was, what was really interesting about it was the last game of the Atlanta series. This was last Sunday. And there was, I was watching that game on ESPN and there was this intention, you know, for them to go the other way and stay, keep the yeah. hands inside the baseball. Right, right. They were unlucky. They, were, they hit some ropes for unlucky outs. You know, Rizzo was trying to do it. He flies out to left center. But, uh, but it really paid off in uh, the Mets series where they were crushing the ball. So were the Mets, too. The Mets have some interesting hitters. Pete Alonso hit two long home runs. Did you see that? Yeah, Yes, I did. He, his bats woke up. I, I, I kept thinking on that. That was the Sunday night ESPN game that makes everybody crazy because you have to turn the volume off because of yeah. Alex Rodriguez. But it seems like the Cubs on those games, because last year they had a few of them, they struggle offensively. Like they do better on the Wednesday and Thursday games when there's no spotlight on them. I've noticed that. Well, I, I, observation. I think they always, I think if you're a Cubs player, the spotlight is always on you. Even if it's, you know, even if it's a 1230 game on a Thursday afternoon, you know, you're, you're. Are you talking about the despised Cubs? The despised Cubs. Yeah, I am actually. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, so what, what's this you know, about Jake Astrick? I mean, uh, Jake As yeah, Jake Marisnik, the former Astro, may be exactly what the Cubs need, but he's terrible against right-handers. Yes, yes. Good. but against yes. left-handers, he's wonderful. He's really good. And didn't he was, we have a guy like that, uh, Al Elmora Jr.? Didn't he have that same issue? Well, Except he was know, a better Al defender, but yeah. Jake's a better hitter, though. 
Jake's a much better hitter. And, and I'll tell you something. Um, what, what is kind of going on here is that, you know, yesterday they lost Ross had changed the lineup a little bit. He yeah. got some guys in, you know, Marisnik didn't start and they didn't win. And I think that that's kind of what's going on here. Ross is trying to figure out who he can rely on. He's got to get everybody in. He's got to see his whole roster. So yeah. that's a win. That's a loss I can accept. You know, if we, if we learn something from it, you know, let's move on. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, is I will tell you, they need to play once they face the Jacob de Grams and the yeah. other pitchers, we'll see how the Cubs play, but. Right. But, I mean, they missed, they missed, they missed facing DeGrom in that series. Right. Against, right. And, and, you know, beyond him, they're not really doing anything else. Yeah. But, uh, well, they're beating up on teams that ever, you should be beating up on the Pirates, you know, Washington, I hate to say it, but. Well, but see, the thing is, up until this point, though, up until this week, I mean, the biggest part of the Cubs' offensive game was the the hit by the pitch. In fact, they were, they were prolific. Or sacrifices. Sacrifices. Sacrifices, yeah. exactly. But they actually spliced together, the Cubs did. They spliced together every time Wilson Contreras had been hit by a pitch this year, which is it, it's he's leading the league. I saw that. Just They spliced them all together, one up to the other, where he's just getting nailed. And I thought that that was very telling. If you're a Cubs fan, that that had to make you angry. You know, it, it did, and 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 it. But it also kind of scares me in the sense that are you kind of putting a spotlight on this? That that are, and hopefully he doesn't get hit any more because of of this video that's going around social media, um, particularly because of Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee and the Cubs this year, or it could be the Reds too, because the no. Reds I have the shiny red asses too. Yeah. Um, where, where there could be some, you know, uh, at the end of this season, Wilson might be, uh, you know, tending to some bruises on his body. I well, I think, I, I think it's already very, very intense between these two teams. They don't like each other a lot. They, Contreras, don't. they think Contreras is cocky. They he think, is. He kind of is. is. He is. But, Anybody has every right to be. I mean, if you think about it. But they're going to let him know how they feel about him. And yeah. the league may have to interfere. And as far as the Reds, the Cubs really don't have any bad blood with them yet. But they really haven't played him yet. So, you know, that could go from one to ten, you know, in one series. Oh, but, but I guess I would say, you know, Ross, you've already been thrown out of one game this year. you got to be careful. That was brutal yesterday. Yeah. But I think there's a long season, Dave, uh, Rossi. You, if you start getting tossed, then it's like, you know, you, you got a reputation. Then it's gonna, you're going to get longer suspensions. you got to be careful. That's, that strike to, to Marisnik was brutal. That was yeah. brutal. It was yeah. above his shoulders. Yeah. That was terrible. Well, you know, he I, deserved to get wrong. I mean, he, he deserved, he deserved to get complained to. Uh, yes. I, yes. Yes. You know, and, and he's going to get thrown out every time when that happens. It, so. it, I feel bad for Wilson, but I also think that like we've discussed before, the, the, the Cubs are not well-liked and if it wasn't Contreras, they could very well be going after Baez. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like there's a, a method to their, to the, to the way the, the rest of the league is, is coming after the Cubs. I do want to mention one last thing uh, about the Cubs. And did you see where Andrew Chafin uh, posted on Twitter that he's looking for a car? Because $2,000 is what I'm going to pay, $2,000. And it's got to be a manual. It's got to be a manual transmission. I'm like, like, dude, have you not driven in this town? Yeah. His pickup truck is too wide to drive around these narrow streets. So he he took to Twitter and asked for a two-grand car that was manual. Yeah. We should send him over to, uh, you know, who we should send him to is Billy Kokalias, you know, who's the mechanic who repairs my cars and Billy's cars. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
were Jesse's cars. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it used to be you know, used to be Gwen's cars too. We used yeah. to go to that guy too, but now we got a guy that's actually better than him. But he could just drive right down Belmont Avenue. Right. Yeah. Olympia Auto on yeah. Belmont Avenue. Right. <laughs> and it's uh, he'll 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 hook you up. So and, let's, let's talk about the white shirt. Billy, by the way, hopefully your check to us is in the mail. Yeah, because exactly. that kind of uh, publicity is not free. <laughs> I will remind him of that the next time I go in for an oil change. But uh, but the White Sox have also had an interesting uh, you know uh, an interesting week. Yeah. And, and on Friday, both Chicago baseball teams were ten and nine. Yeah. And nine yeah. and nine the day before, and they were ten and day, ten and nine on Friday. Yeah. What was interesting is that they both taken completely divergent paths. Yes. To get, you know, um, the Sox well, are very, very interesting and exciting. Except now the Cubs are ten and ten, and the Sox are eleven and nine. And I think that if you look at um, the Sox, um, outside of some issues that I have with Tony's managerial style, for example, he refuses to use the shift, which. On principle, I agree with them, but you have to don't put your team at a disadvantage. If that's what every other team is doing, you have to look at those things and not just be closed minded to it. That being said, the Sox are kind of waking up from their cocoon. I'll tell you why. Look at Louis Robert. Uh, over the last uh, week and a half or so, his bat has uh, waken up. Remember, they had some tough, tough things that were dealt their way injury wise at the beginning of the season. And I think that the Sox, um, you know, Giolito's got a little uh, blister on his finger. They moved his start till this Tuesday. Um, I just think watch, watch out for them because Hendricks over the last, I think, two or three nights has – He's blown a save and then got the win and then just gone out and got the save, which tells you that the Sox are now competitive in the latter stages of the games. I watch out for them. I still think they win the division. I still think that they're, you know, going to be competitive comes towards the end of the year. The one thing that's kind of interesting is that in the central division, the Sox have a, a, a plus 17 run differential, which is really good. Every, every other team is in the red. Every other team, wow. including wow. Detroit, which is minus 33. That is actually a really good predictor. You know, yeah, it totally is. Totally is. It's just like the win above replacement is for the individual, the run yeah. differential for the teams. I mean, it's really all it's the only thing that matters. The Dodgers are extremely good at this. But 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 when you look at their record, I mean eleven and nine isn't exactly blowing the no, doors off of no. the world, but but it shows just how erratic this team can be. I mean, while there have been some really fun things happening, you know, like your mean Mercedes, by the way, you know, but they're also erratic. They don't catch the ball well. Um, they haven't pitched particularly well in relief, you know, especially middle relief. You know, they've had some great starting pitching performances, but then they've also had some hiccups. Well, well Vaughn, is, Vaughn has been a big disappointment. I will yeah. tell you that right now. They thought that he was going to be the, you know, a young Ron Kittle-like hitter, and it just hasn't turned out that way. So there's there's been some hits or misses, but I think that they're pointing it in the right direction, and La Russa's, um, you know, veteran experience will, will win out ultimately, even though he does some goofy old man things. Yeah, he does. It's just hard. I mean, it's – I'll be honest. It's hard to listen to him in the post game. It is really yeah. hard. Right, right. Oh, why is he gurgling? I mean, why? What do you mean? Well, it's just. I mean, he's. I don't know. He's always kind of been this way, sort of a monotone. Oh, he, right, right, right. You sort of. This was always the case with. He's me. not Joe Madden. He'll never he's be not confused. Joe Madden was engaging and interesting and game. effusive and. Yeah. Now I don't need to be entertained by my manager in press conferences to like a team, but but at the right. same time, you know, it, it's 
it's sort of, but, but how about your mean Mercedes? I mean, this is a guy who's eight for his first eight at-bats in the majors. That's right. He had a five hit game, a three hit game. And now he's had a four hit game. He was one for three last night. I mean, can this guy win rookie of the year? This guy who was tacked onto the roster. Can he do it? Why not? If not him, who else? I mean, he, he so he's the only player uh, or only rookie in major league history to have two, four hit games in their first 15 games. Wow. Only player in the history of the game. They've never been able to find another guy, which that tells you something right there. This guy, by the way, was a Band-Aid at the very beginning of the season, and he's right. basically earned away. What LaRusa is saying now is, we're, if I don't play him, we're screwed. I mean, that like we need him is, is what they're saying. And what would they be without him? You know, they would probably be three or four games under 500. So this guy is, is tremendous. Will it last? I don't know. I, I have serious doubts. I mean, history this, says it doesn't. Yeah, but this guy's in between meals. I mean, you know, <laughs> as we speak. So, you know, this guy, he's who's living the, the second and like yeah. three tacos fell out of his jersey that he had, like uh, Gates Brown. I mean, he spent 10 years in the minors making nothing, right? Making no money whatsoever. Right. But here he is having this tremendous run. I, I, you know what I I've heard that no one makes ramen like he does. <laughs> <laughs> so so now Adam Eaton will uh, will sit a game. Yeah, it, uh, I don't know if you're aware of that. And I, is- I saw the play that it happened. This first of all, here's the here's what I think. Take your penalty against the pitcher that you do the worst at. They should be strategic about that. Larusa should say, "Hey, you've struggled against this pitcher. This is the day you're taking the suspension." That's what I would do. I'm just saying, you're not getting all, you're not getting out of it. So take take your medicine and give it, get on with take it. Medicine. Yeah, we're well, talking I about this 3 weeks later, like it's the, yeah. you know, the Watergate break-in. Well, I mean, I'm in a union and the union compels you, I think sometimes to make an appeal. You know, but oh, No, no, no. I think it's mandatory. I think it's automatic if I'm not mistaken, right? Or or do oh, because, because the 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 uh, suspension was due to something. It was a violation of COVID protocols. Oh, caused the benches to empty. I did not know that. That's it wasn't that he had put his hands necessarily on on uh, the other player in the inf- the other, the infielder. It was just because the benches all emptied, and as a result of that physical contact, and that's why he got. I, I don't know. But, uh, but he deserved it, okay, and you move on. Exactly. He had, what was really funny is that his reaction to the possibility of being suspended was kind of like that good kid in your school who got a detention. You know what I mean? This is the kid who never does anything wrong. Right, right. finally gets a detention, and he's all like, oh, my God. Exactly. Oh my God. Will this be on my permanent record? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, did you read the James Fagan piece? in the athletic uh, about Luis, Luis Aparicio and uh, Wilbur Wood. Yes, I did. Of course. That was a a wonderful story. Um, I I didn't know both of these gentlemen are still alive. I thought Aparicio died a long time ago. No, Aparicio is still alive in Venezuela. Right, right. But, but he's very old. And, and the bit about um, Aparicio had to do with a, a guy who used to room with him named Glenn Rosenbaum, who played yeah. with Aparicio in D-ball. Yeah, and then yeah. when Aparicio had just come to America and he was in the White Sox organization and he roomed, they roomed together, the Jewish kid and the Venezuelan kid. And, they t- you know, he, he, he told James Fagan how tough it was for rookies back then, how hard they were on rookies. But, but Aparicio 
proved that he belonged right away, showed how quick he was, how fast he was, what a great defensive player he was, that he could steal bases. And then, you know, immediately, like, the good things started coming Aparicio's way, specifically, like, clothes. Right, right. Aparicio was just the sharpest dresser. He, he looked like Superfly out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked, you know, and, and so that was really, really cool. And then that, you know, Rosenbaum never made the majors, obviously, because nobody's ever heard of him, but but they maintained a friendship throughout the years and they would see each other reunions and, and be like, hey, Rumi, you know? And so, and then he keeps up in touch or not in touch with, but he keeps up with, with um, Aparicio's condition in yeah. Venezuela. You know, you, you know Luis, Luis um, is one of the very few players, there's not a lot of them, who's in the Hall of Fame primarily based on his defensive skills. He was, yeah, yeah. He, he, there, you could make an argument that he was the greatest shortstop the White Sox has ever, have, have ever had on their team. And there was a, a running time, I forget what it was, where eight or nine years in a row, all-star, gold glove. I mean, basically nobody could move right to left in the in the shortstop position as well as Aparicio did in the late 50s and early 60s. And he did have an offensive game. I mean, we're talking about yes. somebody who led the league in stolen bases, I think, yes. for like eight or yes. nine years. You know, so yes. he, he was a, a tremendous player. But, you know, but, and then there was like, another... You know, like, I, there's a very few guys that are in the hall for their defense, and he's one of them. He's one of them. But there is an offensive component that you can justify. But but you're right. He he was one of he was probably the first magician type of short. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? He that, was Ozzy Smith before Ozzy Smith. Exactly, exactly. And by the way, I uh, well anyway, we'll talk about that later. But uh, but there was also uh, something in the article about uh, Wilbur Wood. Yes, yes. And uh, and just how wonderful a pitcher he was, a knuckleballer. You know, he he. At one time, had a record of uh, I think he finished the season with a record of twenty-one and twenty. You know, yeah. most of them were complete games. I mean, he he just he Look, they ran him out there inning after inning. It was crazy. Let me tell you a Wilbur Wood story. So when I was a kid growing up in Detroit, Detroit would play the White Sox. Obviously, my brothers and our friends would imitate the games. We would have it on on a radio and then we would imitate the games as they were going going on and so the this one kid i'll never forget had to play wilbur wood well wilbur wood started both ends of a double header if you remember like this guy was a workhorse extraordinaire and i just remember this young kid going hey i'm never gonna get a break i'm pitching all damn day and i, and I thought to myself what wilbur man you are somebody to be able to have that kind of um well, I don't think anybody's ever done it since, basically, no. to have that kind of a workhorse quality. And he, he states in the article that he was completely focused on, on closing games from the minute that he started. There was no question uh, about a relief pitcher coming in. Are you kidding me? And so it's interesting what will happen when you have that kind of a mindset. He was able to physically pitch extraordinary amounts of innings, sometimes pretty well, sometimes not so well, because he threw a knuckler that his dad taught him that – the thing about knucklers is it baffled like 80% of major leaguers, but there was always somebody, yeah. you know, like a Dave Winfield, somebody that like, that, throw that crap up here, I will crush it every time. And that's what would happen to a Wilbur Woods, is, is Wilbur Wood, I should say. And uh, he was a great White Sox. And, and that was a really, really interesting story of, of two uh, uh, integral parts of the past of the White Sox. The, the White well, Sox. and 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 we we're talking about Wood. It's just we'll never see it again. We'll never see that again. You know, no. I don't. We won't in our life. But I'd like to think if game will be around for a thousand more years, that every record will be broken. It should be. Well, so, I, 
But you're right. It's in the the game that's played today, the specialty game. It's hard to fathom that uh, anybody throwing that many pitches and that right. many even a knuckle. How many knuckleball uh, throwers are there in the majors now? There may be one or two. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'll guarantee you, if if they if they do throw it, it's not their primary pitch. For right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So. Yeah. Anyways. All right, so so that concludes peanuts. Uh, we finished off the bag of peanuts. Let's open the bag of popcorn. So this is our annual show um, where we kind of take a look at the Oscars, which are tonight, by the way. And also, before we even start talking about the movies, the Oscars have quite the challenge. Um, if you remember last year, it was one of the very first um, basically hostless award shows because of COVID. And okay. so... It's my understanding that this year should be interesting. It's kind of a hybrid of that. You're, there's going to be some remote aspects of it, which kind of takes away from the pageantry of the Oscars, which to me are the only award show that matter in any in any facet of life. I don't care if it's the ESPYs, the Emmys, the Grammys. Nothing is be is better and you know more. Uh, it, it, it's it's the it's the closest thing that we have to royalty. Whenever I think of the Oscars and the people that are that there, is it, royalty. that's a great point. And so, um, this so is our be, American royalty. It, it 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 should be interesting tonight to see how it kind of plays out. But uh, before I get we get started talking about the films, I just wanted to speak um, just as a general statement. Bill Maher a couple Friday nights ago. Um, don't always agree with him. A lot of times I do. He made a point about this group of, of the of the these eight films as being the, the most dour yeah. group of films in, in to be nominated for best picture that he could ever recall. And I think he has a good point. He's a great I, point. I completely and, agree with him. And and again, remember, every single one of these was completed before COVID. So it wasn't like these were planned. This is this is more of the deciding juries and the lead up. To, to Oscar season, you know, uh, Cannes and some of these other places where they vote uh, Sundance, they vote on films. Maybe that was in the minds of the judges as these were the films that were picked uh, as our best pictures. So we're gonna talk about uh, th this eight. I'm gonna kind of go in direct order. Some of these, um, most of these films you've seen, which is great. I've seen all of them. Um, one film I actually saw twice. I don't know why I did it, but uh, I did because it was on. But uh, we'll start with number eight. And for me on my list, it's a movie called The Father. And this is a uh, film that uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins uh, plays this father, much like my own father, that towards the end of his life was grappling with dementia. Um, and it's just, um, I wanted to like this film. And I don't know whether you ever saw the movie Memento at, yeah. at, the, at the beginning of the century. This is a film that my wife loves to this day. And most everybody I know, I couldn't stand Memento. It was yeah. making me mental, the fact that he kept going back. And this film, the director actually tried to incorporate um, senility into the film itself. So that there's like, hey, wait a minute, did that just happen? Which is interesting, but it's it's annoying if you're- It's a, a hard movie to watch. Right, yeah. right. And so that's my last place film. I wanna talk about, uh, I, know, I don't think you saw that one, right? No, I didn't see it, I didn't see it. So yeah. let's talk about Mank, which is number seven on my list. Um, uh, so why don't you, you, you tell me what you, what you thought about Mank? Well, 
you know, it's a movie. What, what was very interesting about it, you know, Gary Oldman plays this uh, Mankiewicz, this screenwriter yeah. who Her, writes yeah, Herman, Herman Mankiewicz. Herman Mankiewicz, who writes the screenplay for uh, maybe the greatest movie of all time, Citizen Kane. Yeah. You know, it's about his life and his alcoholism and sort of the things that are happening there. And what's interesting is the way the movie is filmed, you know, and this is why I kind of really liked it mm-hmm. because it's sort of an homage to that era in Hollywood. Yep. The movie yep. itself is in black and white. And they use sort of sort of some of the the ways they used to film movies in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. You sort of see them use those same techniques to produce Mank. And I think that uh, you know I I liked it because I didn't really know anything about this guy. You know, and this he wrote a movie that I completely love. So for me, this was probably the movie I enjoyed maybe most or second most on this list. Interesting, because um, I'm somewhat of a scholar on this film. I've read three or four books. I was completely familiar with Mankiewicz um, uh, through uh, Pauline Kael's book, uh, Raising Cain or something like that. Um, So um, I was I was expecting more. And you're right. From a cinematography standpoint, the great James Tong, who was the cinematographer, Orson Welles, they did try to emulate um, some of his shots, which, by the way, as well as they did, they still go back and watch Citizen Kane. There's two or three shots in there that defy today because there was no special effects. These were actually actual film shots. Um, And so I guess I was just expecting a little bit more in the story because I'm very familiar with the backstory, which by the way, Wells tried to take credit for um, the screenwriting of of Orson Welles and Magwitz wrote the screenplay. But for years, a lot of people are like- from a hospital bed, told it. He dictated it. Correct. And, 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 and wrote it all down and typed it up. And, and the fact is, Wells was kind of a jerk about this. He tried, and a megalomaniac at the same time, he tried to, to, to say, hey, for his life, it wanted to be written and directed by Orson Wells. And that yeah. just is factually incorrect. And so, um, Mankiewicz, who was, didn't need any reason to be even more of an alcoholic, you know, spent about 10 years in, in Hollywood post-Citizen Kane um, in, in, a, in, a, uh, in a decline. And a part of it was, was how he was treated over the whole deal. So there's a lot of well, stuff going There's also his rampant alcoholism, which led yes. to his demise as well. But yes, uh, yes. And, he, you know, he, he was, the thing about Mank, and that's what everybody called him, he was beloved in Hollywood. This is a movie of all the ones that I've seen so far. I have a big screen at my house, but I really wish I was in the theater for this one. Of all the films that I saw this year, this is the one where I was like, you know what? If we saw this on a 70 millimeter, I'll bet you, you know, maybe my review would have been higher. But that being said, I put it number seven. Number six on my list is The Trial of the Chicago Seven. We talked about this film last week. We don't have to kind of cover it again. Um, you know, I, you know, basically, I think it's, it's a decent film based on true events that steered from the facts at times. And yeah. the, big, the biggest drawback was the sometimes ridiculous script by Aaron Sorkin. And as usual, Mark Rylance was great as William Kunstler. That's basically my comments on the film. Anything to add to that? I'll just say that when I saw it, I enjoyed it a great deal because I enjoy the fast-paced dialogue that Aaron Sorkin writes. Right, and right. Really chew up the scenery. So it's... Yeah. it's but then, you know, then I read a piece by Ben Jarofsky in The Reader yeah, where yeah. it ripped him. Yeah, and and yeah. the movie basically strays from the actual events. And I had a hard time with the movie after that. Yeah, I, yeah. And, and I'll tell you, uh, that's the only film that I've seen twice. Why, you might ask. I don't know, just because it was on. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that... Uh, it, 
I think it might get shut out in the Oscars. That's what I'm saying. Like, if, and if it wins anything, it might be that screenplay for Sorkin, yeah. even though it's just like we we both agree. The next film on my list is The Sound of Metal. Um, I really like this film. This is the underdog film of my list. It's not going to win hardly anything. But I thought that Riz Ahmed, the lead character who plays this heavy metal drummer who's um, going deaf at an alarming rate. I mean, it's happening at, it's uh, kind of like what's happening with McMichael it, it, in, in real time. I mean, he basically became completely deaf. And I thought this film did a really good job of capturing all of the things that are, you know, basically deaf people are second-class citizens in, in, in our country. And, and this film just does a beautiful job. And the, the scene that, that ends it at the end, which I'm not going to give it away for our listener, is just heartbreaking. He does something um, that you just, oh my God. But I, I think if I had to pick my best actor, it would be Riz Ahmed. I don't think he has a snowball's chance in hell, but I think that's who I would pick. I thought he was that good. And Hopkins was great too, by the way, but, uh, but, but Ahmed was fantastic. I don't know. I, 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 you know, when I think about this movie, yes, it's a good movie. Yes, it's well done. Yes, Riz Ahmed was great. Yeah. Did I enjoy the movie? No, I did not. I did <laughs> right. not enjoy it. Right. And that is the case with so many of the movies on this list this yeah. year. No, for sure. For sure. No man, you know, and we'll talk about all of them. Again, I mean, I hate heavy metal music. Okay? Me too. Me too. And, and, you know, and it's just really, really sad to watch this guy's decline. Yeah. It's hard to say, I really love that movie. I, I can't come out of there. I, I, dude, I get I get it. I, I totally and, and understand this is, that. This really speaks to Mars Point. So yeah. yes. Yes, but and, and that and by the way, your assessment is, is similar to a lot of people's on this on uh, and when it comes to that film. Next on my list is a movie I actually saw yesterday afternoon, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I regret not seeing. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read my my two line review: timely telling of the assassination of Fred Hampton by the Chicago Police Department, and Daniel Kaluuya is electrifying and is building quite the resume. And he's up for best supporting actor and he should win it playing Fred Hampton. But this is a British guy who was great in Get Out. Um, he's got he's got some of the best eyes in the motion picture business. I will just leave it at that. Uh, great film. You haven't seen it, you need to, you need to see it. It falls just short of uh, the, the, the next tier of films, the next three films we're gonna talk about, but it was really good. Um, so next on my list, number three is Maneri. Um, I, I thought this was a beautiful story and, and an, an impressive directorial effort by uh, Lee Isaac Chung. I know you, you feel as though this is another one of those movies that um, just did nothing for you or, or um, you felt it was dour or whatever, a doubter. Well, there were no car chases or explosions, Tom. So But honestly, it's the same type of movie. I mean, is it a good movie? Did they do a great job? All those things are true. Yes, yeah. they did. But you just you just wanted Vin Diesel in the lead. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a single gratuitous sex scene, Tom. How am I supposed to see it? You know, but 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 again, I mean, it, it's just a hard, slow, developing movie to watch, and and that's my problem. I didn't enjoy it, but I thought it was good. So Yun Yu Young. Not a name you know right now, but in about 15 hours, you're going to know that name because it's going to be all over the papers tomorrow. She will win Best Supporting Actress for her hilarious portrayal of the feisty grandmother. And, and I thought... The feisty Korean grandmother. Yes, yes. that's yeah. correct. 
And, and so I'm sure that's not the first time she's played a character like that. Yeah, correct. Oh. But 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 she gets the statue tonight. That's yeah, what I think. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and that'll be good. Number two on my list is Promising Young Woman. I know this is not everybody's cup of tea, but it was mine. I thought Carrie Mulligan um, was phenomenal. She could win Best Actress. She probably won't. If the protagonist was a male, a man, it would have been played by Charles Bronson. Um, and I, so I think it has one of the best endings in, in, in uh, recent motion picture history. If you, this is a film that people have told me that they kind of stopped watching. I'm like, you can't stop watching it. You have to see it to the end just to put the whole, to kind of get it together. And this is one of those films that lingers with you. A great movie will make you think about it the next day. Like, you know what? Maybe I need to go back and see that scene again. This is one of those films. I loved it. You know, I, I loved it too. This was probably my favorite movie on the list. Um, it was the most thrilling. It was the one movie that I came out of it saying, I really enjoyed that. You know, it was exciting. Yeah. It was thrilling. There, there are some hard scenes to watch if you're a man. You know, some of these scenes were rape or date yeah. rape. Yeah. was depicted. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, really, really scary stuff. Well, and, well the truth, the truth hurts, buddy. I mean, that, that's what the, this is. The, they, this director just basically laid it all out there. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. All right. So go on to who, who do you think is the best movie? Well, it, it's it's you've made an interesting comment who we want to win, who, who we think will win. And okay. so my best picture number one this year is the dourest of dour films, Nomadland. I thought that um, it, it, it just. Uh, Frances McDormand, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think she's, she's, she's absolutely amazing. Will she win her third Oscar? She might. She was, she was right. that good. I'll never look at a van the same way again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a guy who lived like that in here in Glenview. You know, are you serious? Nomad. He lived out of a van and he would park it by the metro station. Neil Steinberg wrote about him. Wow. And, uh, and I'd, I'd seen his van several times. And he's just this guy who's kind of living outside of things. Yeah. And, and what I think is really great about Nomad is that they used, you know, as, as, as extras and actors and actresses in this movie, they use the men and women who are living like this. And uh, I think that it is a wake-up call for many of us in America to learn about this population and how they live and why they're living this way, you know. I, I think, you know, it's been nominated, I think, for six Oscars. I think it's going to win the big prizes. However... I would be happy if it didn't. It's, it's, this is one of those years where if Promising Young Women, you know, gets on a roll and wins them all, I'd be, I'd be ecstatic because I'm with you. It, it's, of all the films I saw, that one lingered with me the most, I have to say. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and it's a movie that has only two known actors and actresses. Yeah, in right, right. Good point. And, 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 you know, so, so it's an, as an achievement, you know, it, it really is a, an amazing work as an achievement. Now, again, it falls into that category that it's not a movie that you can really say I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? I watched it. It was interesting. It was good. Yep. Did I enjoy it? Nah, not really. And, and I think that some you can, your kids can't watch it. Here have lost sight of that's really what the goal is. You know? True, true, true. So what's up? Uh, next week as we all right so 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 uh i'm gonna pick the movie this week and uh this is one of my favorites uh and it's a movie that maybe you've seen it on hbo that sometimes it makes an appearance but it's called the nephew uh the nephew is the name of the movie no i haven't so i look forward to seeing this one yeah you're gonna like this one you'll really like it so all right man until next week we are the two peas in a podcast oh by the 
drum slowly and play the fife lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall. 